antiquated phrase came to mind. I heard it in my mother, who'd had an idiosyncratic affection for outdated expressions. And for clergy, too, now that I thought of it. Though our family had been Episcopalian, not Catholic. Yes, I could have waited up there until the priests left. Over and over since then, I have wondered how things might have changed if I had never gone to answer his ring. Instead, determined to conclusively settle this matter that had brought the priest to my home. God damn it, I did not need to talk to anyone about my anger. I wrapped my brush in a square of foil, found a rag, and wiped my hands, got them as clean as they would ever be. Before I went down, I remember switching off the large fan, an industrial one I'd installed myself to protect my family from toxic fumes. To keep them safe. To keep them safe. Even now, I taste the irony. I did not hurry as I descended the three flights. When I reached the second floor landing, the chimes pealed once more, and again as I crossed the foyer, and I knew a small, mean satisfaction at keeping the priest waiting. Through the wavy glass of the sidelights, I viewed an ordinary man edging out of the north side of middle age. Although it was cool for May, he was bareheaded and the wind lifted the short strands of his hair into spikes, like the gelled pink hair of the teenage clerk at the market where we now shopped. In my limited experience, I have always found priests to be fat or skeletal, as if they were either wasted or well-fed by their faith. This one was thin, scholarly-looking, with shoulders beginning to stoop. From the weight of his calling, I remember thinking, all those untold burdens. I felt no sympathy. Don't talk to me of burdens. If stripped of the clothing of his profession, the black suit, white band collar, the priest could be any professional, an accountant, banker, teacher, salesman. Well, broadly speaking, I supposed he was all of those. Just not on my damned turf. I unlocked the deadbolt and opened the door. Yes? I'm Father Paul Gervais. Given his slight build, the priest's voice was deeper, more resonant than I expected, but still held the softness and lack of aggression I associated with the lower strata of the male Catholic hierarchy. I couldn't imagine why Sophie would think I'd ever talk to this inconsequential functionary, this man apparently not bothered by the prospect of time squandered on a fool's errand. From Holy Apostles, the priest said. He hesitated. I, uh, I don't know if you recall me. I stared blankly, waited. I celebrated the mass for your daughter, for Lucy. He ran a palm over his head, smoothed his hair flat. His color was pale, tinged with gray, the look of a man with a disease not yet diagnosed. There was a saffron-colored smudge on his left lapel, a color I associated with the pollen of daylilies, a shade of marigold or cadmium. It took a minute until I was sure my voice would be steady. In fact, I barely remembered the priest. But then I'd managed to block all details of Lucy's funeral, a Catholic service I had agreed to only because it meant so much to Sophie. Yes? I said, and steeled myself for the inevitable opening, 
the empty words, the unbearably condescending expression of pity or sympathy wrapped in infuriating platitudes. In the past months, I'd heard enough of them to last a lifetime. I don't know what to say, people say, and then they would say it anyway. One woman actually had the nerve to tell Sophie she was young enough to have another child, as if a dead child could be as easily replaced as a burned-out light bulb. The woman had added that if we had a second child, we would again be a family. The loss might be diminished. Like that horrid phrase the Brits used for the royal family. An heir and a spare. What a fucking dumb-witted thing to say. The priest looked straight at me, blue eyes gazing out from behind wire-rimmed glasses, revealing nothing. I waited, then broke the silence. You're wasting your time, father. Father Gervais smiled, an unexpectedly appealing.